0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Abayomi Ezekawe, and welcome back uh, to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Ezekawe. Today is Saturday, September 17th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again uh, to yet another edition of our program. Later on, we'll be coming up uh, with our Pan-African Newswire report. Uh, We'll have dispatches on the visit by South African President Cyril Ramaphosa to the United States. Uh, He has held talks uh, with uh, U.S. President Joe Biden, and also next week we'll uh, participate in the United Nations General Assembly, uh, the uh, 77th session. The Cameroonian government uh, has enhanced security in the capital of Yaoundé. We'll have details on that as well. Nigerian military forces say that rebels in the Zambisa forest have been forced to flee uh, due to flooding and aerial strikes. And the recently re-elected Angolan President João Lorenko has promised additional reforms during his current term of office. In the second hour, we look in detail at the talks between U.S. President Joe Biden and his South African counterpart, Cyril Ramaphosa, in Washington, D.C., ahead of the upcoming United Nations General Assembly in New York City. Finally, we hear a briefing uh, from the African Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It's based in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Uh, They'll be discussing uh, various uh, aspects of the status of public health uh, within the 55 uh, member states of the African Union. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll take our musical interlude uh, with Prince Yulu. Uh,
2: let's...
3: <laughs> Nasario oh, ni oh, oh, oh. diwawancara e a mi ko to na le mi bonyo sovo nakom mi na bom mi môlo ka kikolo ya bolo kaoga na naju na Nabon le go vovo ko le la na I was Che bana eco ti la de mamma, la tua eco fu mama. mamma, che come eco ti cara mamma, so el niño bubu bubu, pa su siebo que mi kuma, pa donale mi tango juntos, o bana so mi locola na boni Na bila bila kisho tiringolo ya bolingo tiovo, ni kambo na na nyobo vo, na bungezi bolingo vo, na kumi te kole la la vo, na na nyobo na I'm Va ponerle papi na mi sabe mama oh oh No va venir ma poco mama ah Saina weo te lie papi na corre la se yo papá Vamos to matar y te yo papá
2: Sobali la calle dame la mi
3: vinga ifer papio bobo sere na con papá ali ma carana papá Papa is na ye, man, <savouras> <a mama>. <thôi> <PapiPerfecti> <papaya> <ification of sproutheit> Shiri yuyu oh. Plezo, senaya, so, go, ne, le, ye, mama ah. papa. tu papa. Baby konza, Oh, na mbi si, abonele langai mabala na, na mama, ngai nekona yoyamasi eh, na baby totto, na baby kiwele wele kiwele welewele kiwele wele, ngali ngaka ngai yuyuna ngai, na mbi na oh papa, na muto makani feyo oh papa.
2: Nobody does my head, i to be so
3: Les alipos de l'anglais, mon a sous C'est et pesiga liboma mama 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 I'm going to o mama to be Santa, mama. I'm going to be mama. to mama. Oto you. E oh mama ah. yeah, e andambo, nambanda, oh mama ah. na La lembi na lembi na lembi na langwe la mulwe na yo shiriye, moto echeni epe singa liboma oh mama, yah eboni go pesana bona oh mama, na zokina botema sushia eboni go oh mama shiriye, na belli dema la mama, na kagikwe na belli tsutsu mama, na lembi na kabelera yo mama. Na lebi na lebi na lebi na leli o e O mo ka u foto ya seri e pesi kali o mama o mama Yai e pori kwa pesa ndapo na o mama Ya zokina mo tema sisi ya pori kwa mama sherigo. Oh, ah. yeah, so I'm go a empezar a andar por la banda, oh mamá la toquina la monta más sucia, bonico, oh mamá que rico otra mambo o de lo mujer de la flor a losa finía oca de pulso
1: uh, from uh, the Republic of Congo, uh, Brazzaville, uh, from the album entitled Le, Friere, Le, Le Trois Friere, uh, My Three Brothers. And uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, a worldwide radio broadcast, and I am your host, Abayomi uh, Azikwe. Right now, we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment of our program. Our lead story uh, deals uh, with the current visit of South African President Cyril Ramaphosa uh, to the United States. He held uh, extensive talks uh, yesterday uh, and today uh, with uh, President Joe Biden uh, during bilateral meetings at the White House uh, and uh, even earlier today. And uh, also uh, conveyed the South African government to the United States government an anti-Russia bill in the U.S. Congress that is designed to deter Russia's activities in Africa would punish the entire continent for its partnership with Moscow. Quote, we've expressed our discontent and opposition to it. I think it will harm Africa and marginalize the continent, unquote. Ramaphosa told reporters uh, yesterday after his bilateral meeting at the White House, as quoted in a pool report, I think it is misplaced type of legislation, the president said. Uh, We should not be uh, told uh, by anyone who who we can associate with, Uh, according to uh, President uh, Cyril Ramaphosa of South Africa. Ramaphosa told reporters he will meet with the United States lawmakers involved in the Countering Malign Russian Activities in Africa Act. Uh, They were scheduled to meet uh, last night. In other news, in the West African state of Cameroon, police have urged, uh, as of yesterday, vigilance uh, in the capital of Yaoundé uh, following upsurge in attacks and armed robberies. Uh, Didier Nga, police chief of the center region where the capital is located, said Friday that appropriate measures should be taken to curb the phenomenon, in particular by upgrading operations and setting in motion anti-gang brigades and intensifying vigilance during security checks. Officials said police have deployed additional manpower around Yaoundé to enhance the security of vital national assets and vulnerable facilities. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. Hundreds of Boko Haram jihadists have fled a forest enclave in northeast Nigeria, escaping airstrikes by the military and floods from torrential rains to seek shelter on Niger's side of Lake Chad. as according to reports uh, from the Agence France press. Northeast Nigeria has faced a 13-year armed insurgency by jihadists, which has killed more than 40,000 people and displaced around 2 million from their homes. The violence has spilled into neighboring Niger, Chad, and Cameroon, with the jihadists maintaining camps in the vast Lake Chad region straddling the four countries. Nigerian soldiers captured a terrorist after an operation against Boko Haram, a Nigerian security source said uh, there had in, been an exodus of Boko Haram militants from the Zambezi force last month due to a sustained bombing campaign on their hideout. Nigeria has also recorded a more intensive rainy season, which usually runs from May uh, through September, and floods have occurred in almost every part of the country. The exodus of the Boko Haram terrorists has increased in recent days as the bombardments have intensified, coupled with the flooding uh, that have submerged many other camps. uh, That's according to the security forces in the Federal uh, Republic of Nigeria in the region uh, of the Northeast. On Monday, a convoy of more than 50 trucks carrying Boko Haram fighters and their families passed through villages on a route linking Zambesi uh, with uh, Lake Chad, several residents in the region said the fighters are believed to be loyal to Bakur Buduma, a Boko Haram factional leader, the source said. The convoy drove through Mafa Forest into Jerry and uh, Koshobe before crossing between the towns of Gajaram and Gasawa on the 135th kilometer, uh, some 85-mile highway linking the regional capital of Mataguri and the garrison town of Manguno, that's according uh, to the sources. They, uh, Boko Haram, crossed the highway in batches of 10 vehicles at a time under the watch of heavily armed fighters, uh, said Lamanu Toma, a resident of the area. After crossing the highway, the convoy moved into Gurumbali a uh, forest uh, from where they emerged at Gidam. Uh, before transferring, uh, before traversing a river into Abadam district on the border with Niger. That's according to another resident, Bunani Garga. The Boko Haram convoy is definitely heading to the islands on Lake Chad in in the Bosa area of Niger, where the group has camps. That's according to a fisherman in Kalasani, who said he was familiar with Boko Haram's movements in the region. Niger authorities could not immediately confirm the movement uh, of the jihadists. Those heading into Niger are Boko Haram fighters who have been holed up in parts of the Zambezi forest that remain under the group's control after it lost ground to a rival, uh, the Islamic State of West Africa province, ISWAP. ISWAP split from Boko Haram in 2016, rising to become a dominant jihadist group focusing more on attacking military bases and ambushing troops rather than civilians. Boko Haram leader Abubakar Shakal was killed in May of 2021 during the infighting with the ISWAP ISWAP, which also seized most of the group's territory in the Zambezi forest. Some Boko Haram fighters moved out of the Zambezi towards forest in the northwest where they forged alliances with criminal gangs involved in looting and kidnapping for ransom, according to Nigerian intelligence reports. And uh, finally, um, in the southern African state of Angola, security forces have set up a heavy cordon around the venue, a move which the main opposition party, UNITA, said is aimed at stifling dissent. Now, the 68-year-old former general returned to power after the elections on August the 24th, gave his MPLA, the Popular Movement for the Liberation of Angola, a thin majority, winning uh, 51.17% of the vote. It was the MPLA's poor showing uh, in the all rich country it has controlled since independence from Portugal in 1975. Angolan President João Lourenco Vowed to push ahead with economic reform and hail voters' tolerance. He was sworn in on Thursday for a second term after a divisive electoral win. At tight security, Orenko pledged to be, quote, president for all Angolans, unquote, at a colorful ceremony held at the historic Paca da Republica Square in the capital of Luanda. Congratulations for the patriotism and high degree of tolerance. And civility shown in what are already considered the most disputed general elections in the history of the young Angolan democracy, unquote, he said in his inauguration speech. Angolans have demonstrated to the world that at crucial moments, they know how to make the best choices and choose the future of their country with great responsibility. He said that by electing him and his party, Angola has chosen continuity and will be guaranteed stability as he pointed to further economic liberalizations in a country ruled since independence by an historically socialist party. He promised to push ahead with reforms to encourage the private sector, expand the offer of goods and services, and to fight youth unemployment. We as a country have a clear option for democracy and a market economy. And with that, though, we're going to conclude the Pan-African Newswatch segment of the Pan-African Journal. In concluding this segment of our program, we want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998 and has published thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. To log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day. Uh, just go to our website uh, at the Pan-African Newswire, and that's at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com if you'd like to have access to today's Pan African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Saturday, September 17th, uh, 2022. Just go to the Pan African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan African Journal. Right now, we'll take a musical interlude and we'll be back with more of the Pan African Journal for this week.
3: I'm the lover's man. I made love in my
2: guitar.
3: I'm the lover's man. I made love in my
4: guitar. When I come to town, all of my women fall in line.
1: I've got
4: a key, all of my women's though. I've got a key, all of my women's though.
3: Yes, I'm going up,
2: going up to my
3: baby door.
4: Who is that
2: knocking? Baby so Who is that in there? So sorry, you don't no
5: Baby. guitar days is
2: over
5: Can't be loving my guitar no
2: more
3: My guitar days is over
2: Can't
3: be loving my guitar no
2: more
3: I'm going back to the woman I had 20 years ago
1: John Lee Hooker, and uh, that was Guitar Loving and Man, and you're listening to the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast uh, here on Saturday evening, September the 17th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Right now, we want to uh, follow up on our earlier report of the uh, visit of South African President Cyril Ramaphosa. To the United States for high-level discussions uh, yesterday and today, uh, with the White House, uh, he met with uh, President Joe Biden and as well as Vice President uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, initially, we we're going to uh, play an interview from yesterday with South African Foreign Minister Naledi Pandor, uh, laying the groundwork and uh, placing into context the current uh, status of uh, relations between the United States and the Republic of South Africa i let you listen in.
6: South Africa's International Relations and Cooperation Minister Dr. Naledi Pando is part of the advanced team here in Washington DC ahead of President Cyril Ramaphosa's arrival this Thursday. Uh, Dr. Pando is my guest right now. Minister, always good to see you. Welcome to the United States and to the US Capitol.
7: Thank you and lovely to see you as well and uh, greetings to all the viewers at home and all over the world.
6: I want to start this conversation with a better understanding of what South Africa describes as a cordial relationship with the United States. Jendai Fraser, the former Assistant Secretary of State for Africa, uh, posed this question to you yesterday in terms of what she called the sharp tone that that South Africa sometimes has towards the United States, using the example after the invasion of Iraq and comparing that to South Africa's disposition towards Russia as it pertains to the invasion of Ukraine. You explained it quite succinctly yesterday. Would you give us a sense of your feelings this day?
7: Well, I think uh, I I wouldn't describe the uh, relationship as cordial because cordial is sort of cool and she seems to assume that there's a cool relationship. But I think we have a very good uh, relationship. It certainly warmed uh, a great deal following uh, President Biden's inauguration as the leader of the United States of uh, America. A few years ago, Africa was described in extremely pejorative terms uh, by the president, uh, former president of this country. But I think since President Biden, uh, there's really been an attempt to reach out to Africa and certainly many positive uh, conversations with our president.
6: Let's talk a bit about that outreach, Minister. If you look back at the, sort of the last six months, Wendy Sherman, the Deputy Secretary of State, came to South Africa in May and that of course uh, was after President Ramaphosa and President Biden had a telephone conversation in April. You saw Secretary of State Blinken uh, with you in Pretoria in August and now followed with this high level visit between the two presidents again. What's going on behind the scenes here? There's definitely uh, certainly an effort post the Trump administration to woo
7: South Africa in terms of what? Well I think uh, the United States of America believes South Africa has an important role on the African continent and that we can play a a very uh, significant role in the uh, implementation of the new strategy uh, that the United States uh, has set out as its new uh, engagement with the African uh, continent. So it's an appreciation of the role South Africa can play and who and what South Africa is uh, on the African continent. We appreciate that. Of course, we don't overestimate ourselves, Right. but also, uh, as I pointed out during the conversation with Ambassador Fraser, we regard the uh, trade and economic relationship between ourselves and the United States as very, very important, and it's a relationship we wish to harness and to, you know, support uh, uh, with very positive intent.
6: I want to talk about trade and investment and the economic aspect to this trip because that's certainly a very big pillar uh, of these deliberations that will happen here uh, tomorrow. I just want to touch on the, as you mentioned, the U.S. strategy towards sub-Saharan Africa, which, in summary, uh, you know, the sense we get is that it's to counter the influence of, say, a China or a Russia in Africa. What do you make of that disposition?
7: Well, when we had uh, the consultations with Secretary Blinken. I really advised against an anti-China uh, uh, or any other and them scenario. strategy because I think it just leads to uh, division. I said that uh, I thought the focus should really be on Africa's own uh, key strategy which is Agenda 2063 and I was really happy that his uh, presentation in South Africa had woven in uh, agenda 2063 and this is uh, extremely important for us. We choose who we relate with and we have relationships with many countries across the world and really what we hope for, the key, the essence of the values and principles of South Africa is multilateral uh, cooperation across the world, to respect sovereignty uh, of state, and uh, support for the United Nations in the important work it leads in the global community and I think uh, those two sectors and ideals are shared by the United States.
6: The economic element ministry is of course a very important one, right? South Africa is seeking to re- reinvigorate its growth trajectory, which has been tepid over the years, particularly as it relates to dealing with pressing issues like staggering unemployment. There's also this other dimension in terms of the transition away from fossil fuels and the financing, the just transition, the common but differentiated responsibilities that developed countries have towards countries like South Africa. This $8.5 billion has come with a lot of appendages and appendices in terms of how it's going to work. What are those conversations looking like in terms of the economic uh, 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 influence you seek from the U.S. Yeah,
7: I think the, uh, the detailed conversations have just begun as to exactly what those terms mean, you know, conditionalities, loans, loans grants, right. etc. All of that is still to be mapped out uh, in concrete terms, but I personally, and I think uh, many of my colleagues are encouraged by signs that there's a serious commitment to the Just uh, just Energy Transition uh, Plan that was agreed upon uh, at COP26. So we are seeing the Glasgow uh, deliberations being taken forward by the various interlocutors. And this is perhaps one of the first times where uh, detail around the plan is actually pursued after the COP meeting. So um, I, at this moment, I stand uh, encouraged, but the big issue is the detail around uh, the promised funding.
6: I'm also, uh, th- there's also a lot of talk about uh, the economy more broadly in terms of equity. Uh, uh, the tariff situation uh, in terms of aluminium and steel yeah. uh, it has been described to me as low-hanging fruit in terms of building on this relationship, expanding this bilateral relationship. Is
7: that something we can expect to be removed? Uh, after this trip? Well, we're hopeful. Uh, we continue to engage. Our minister, uh, Patel, engages his colleague in the trade uh, sector. I've made mention of it uh, to Secretary Blinken as a very important outcome uh, for South Africa. I'm sure President Ramaphosa will raise it with his peer, uh, President Biden, because um, progress for South Africa on the tariff and access issue uh, would be extremely important for our industrialists.
6: Final question for you, Minister, and this is kind of sort of throwing it forward to the UN General Assembly next week. You also talked yesterday about the uh, the rules, ba- international rules basis, right? the international framework that governs how we relate as countries. And you, you talked about how it cannot, you know, it cannot just apply, for example, to Ukraine when it doesn't necessarily apply the same way to the Palestinians. I want to read you something Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. said uh, last week. We will advance efforts to reform the U.N. Security Council towards greater accountability and legitimacy. We should forge consensus around sensible and credible proposals to expand the UN Security Council. I wonder what you make of a statement like that coming from the United States, given that, in in the main, it's been the UN Security Council's permanent five members that have been sticklers Absolutely. in moving forward. I
7: mean, it's for <laughs> uh, but as I say, you know, the devil often lies in the detail. Uh, but we do believe there should be greater representation, and we do agree that there must be reform. South Africa has always advocated that we want to move to text-based negotiations. So we'd like to see the various Member States put something down on paper. We'd like a synthesized document that can be discussed by all the Member States, which gives us a sense of, of the future. I would say that it is some of the more powerful countries that have actually been the ones who've diminished the status of the United Nations, either by denying it funding when it suits them, or by making uh, demands uh, that are unwarranted and that don't represent all uh, member states' interests. So now that all of us have a commitment to respect for the United Nations as the premier multilateral institution, let's get on with the reform deliberation.
6: And we won't blame that truck on the P-5 either. Minister, always good to see you. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you very, very much, much indeed. Thank you. Dr. Naledi is South Africa's uh, International Relations and Cooperation Minister, of course, part of the advance team here, ahead of President Ramaphosa's meetings with both Vice President Kamala Harris and President Joe Biden at the White House this Friday.
1: Welcome back. And that was the uh, Republic of South Africa Foreign Minister, uh, Naledi Pandora, uh, putting into context the visit uh, by uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa uh, to Washington, D.C., for talks uh, with the uh, White House. He met with uh, President Joe Biden as well as Vice President Kamala Harris. Here is a briefing that was delivered uh, earlier today uh, by President Cyril Ramaphosa of the Republic of South Africa on his talks with um, the United States. Uh, Let's listen in
8: welcome back you're still watching the globe now what we're hoping is that uh, in a few minutes time uh, in fact the president is there so they're busy setting him up he's going to be briefing the media now in the next uh, couple of seconds uh, to talk a little bit about the conversation that he had Uh, with President Joe Biden. Many things uh, were on the agenda, and we discussed a few of those uh, with uh, our our journalist, uh, uh, Sean Bricepies, who's uh, covering the story for us there. Uh, A whole range of issues from um, trade, war in Ukraine, peace and security, and also this bill that uh, the Americans uh, are hoping to push through, which penalizes countries that are uh, trading with Russia, but let's go to the U.S. now. I'm
5: out of a very fruitful and very positive engagement with uh, President Biden and the Secretary of State, Mr. Blinken, and earlier this morning we saw Vice President Harris, uh, who uh, gave us breakfast, which was very nice. But our discussions with the U.S. government have really been extensive. Right now, with uh, President Biden, i I raised almost 20 issues that I felt we needed to cover. We didn't go into depth on all of them. And the issues ranged from trade and investment, how we can continue creating a very good environment for American companies, To invest in South Africa, we've got some 600 American companies invested in South Africa in a whole range of uh, sectors, and they were positively disposed towards even encouraging more U.S. companies to invest in South Africa because they see us continuing with the reforms and continuing to create a climate that's conducive for business to invest. And I could say that was possibly one of the key areas that we came to the US to further the interests of South Africa. We also discussed the just energy transition, which we discussed at length, and in our discussion with President Biden we said, Much as we reached a deal in Glasgow with uh, European partners, maybe the European Union, France, Germany and the UK, as well as the US, on further look we find that we are going to need much more than what has been pledged to have an effective and a just transition where we do not leave anyone behind. And I was hugely, hugely impressed with President Biden's grasp of the challenge that we face. We said, if we are to transition to renewables as we move on 2030 and beyond, we are literally going to need another $38 billion in support. So. There is a shortfall of $38 billion on top of the 8.5, and we are processing the whole uh, issue of coming up with an investment case and a business plan, but it's quite clear to us that to have a just transition that does not leave anyone behind, a just transition that will help in the creation of jobs, so that as people transit, from fossil fuel type of jobs and move on to renewables, energy type of jobs, they should feel that they have not been left behind. We discussed the AGOA forum that we are going to hold and uh, the US is positively disposed to that. We also discussed the issue of global security, stability and security and specifically we discussed the insurgent attacks that are going on in Mozambique, and we called on the U.S. to lend a further hand uh, in that conflict, because if we do not, South Africa could find itself a target, and we need resources. South Africa as it is now is the biggest contributor in terms of troops apart from Rwanda, which is doing so on a bilateral basis and that too was uh, well received and further discussions will need to happen uh, with the US on this one. We discussed COVID uh, and appreciated the support that we've received from the US in the form of various resources including vaccines but we also said that the job is not done yet. We need to We fully supported when it comes to vaccine manufacturing. Uh, We also appreciated the stance that was taken by the U.S. and the World Trade Organization. But we said that we now need to finish that process or negotiation so that uh, the deal should cover therapeutics as well as diagnostics. We appreciated the support we get from the United States in relation to health where through PEPFAR we've received enormous support, particularly on HIV and AIDS and tuberculosis. And we said in the end, South Africa still being the COVID-19 champion, we now with the task of improving health systems on our continent. And that too will, will need support. We also raised the issue of the steel and aluminium section 232 tariffs that have been imposed. And we uh, said that that was not fair. We would like those to be reviewed so that our steel and aluminium producing uh, companies should uh, take up the opportunities of exporting to the U.S. without uh, having tariffs being imposed on them. We also discussed the Africa Continental Free Trade Area and uh, said that we are looking forward to this as an enabler for industrialization and manufacturing and would like the U.S. uh, to be more supportive as well. The other important issue we raised was the issue of infrastructure support that President Biden and myself discussed on the telephone a few months ago when we had a 45-minute telephone call. And we agreed then during the telephone conversation that our Minister of, Trade, uh, of International Relations and uh, Secretary of State would take the discussions forward, which they did when Secretary Blinken visited South Africa. So they are now engaged in what we call a strategic dialogue uh, forum. Where they are discussing this matter. Food security came up and we discussed this in the light of the engagement we had with the G7 in Brussels when we raised the issue of of, of, of Africa needing to have more security when it comes to food production and the issue of fertilizers came up that in order for us to have food security on the continent we do need to have uh, homegrown fertilizer production like we are now doing so with vaccines so we identify this as an area of intervention where we will need support Uh, i was rather pleased to hear that the u.s is going to be holding a discussion soon and we are going to be Uh, Moving forward with a proposal as South Africa working together with the President of the EU on the issue of fertilizer production on the continent. We also discussed the issue of the Malign Russia Activities Bill. We raised this as a concern that if that bill were to go through it would marginalize Africa, because it would seem like Africa would now be punished for uh, uh, having partners, uh, a partner like Russia, uh, and for the most part most of African countries are non-aligned, and we expressed the view that it would be unfair for the U.S. to punish African countries by just merely either uh, associating with Russia on an economic basis or a business basis and um, uh, uh, that we put forward. We also raised the issue of sanctions against Zimbabwe and argued that the sanctions that are imposed on Zimbabwe have a collateral damage on us as South Africa in that as the implement those sanctions against Zimbabwe. It weakens the Zimbabwean economy, resulting in Zimbabweans leaving in droves, leaving Zimbabwe in drones, going to neighboring countries, South Africa, uh, Botswana, and Namibia. And we then suffer collateral damage as a result of that, because as they come to our countries, They obviously want services which uh, we have to provide and it imposes a burden on our own countries. We discussed the issue of the African Union needing a seat on the G20 and we felt that that should be given consideration because South Africa In the end, as I recall, is the only country that is a member of the G20, and we attend the G7 by invitation often, and we need to spread the responsibility for representing African views, and we feel strongly that the AU, African Union, should be a member of the G20, much as they are a continental organization, uh, just like I think the EU is member. We discussed and raised the issue of skills development with President Biden and felt that we also said we would like the US to support us in the development of skills for civil servants. We want to professionalize our civil service and we would like to be supported so that we can send uh, some of our key civil servants to institutions like the Kennedy Gov- School of Government, like the Thunderbird Institution, so that they can get training specifically for women who are in the civil service in South Africa. We also raise the issue of gender empowerment, that we would like this to be uh, an important a priority. We also raised this with Vice President Harris and proposed to her that it would be good during the summit that President Biden is going to have African leaders uh, in December that maybe on the sidelines she should convene a meeting of African ministers who are uh, seized with the issue of empowerment of women and uh, women's rights. And uh, one of the other last things which I could mention here that we raised was the uh, reform of the United Nations, Security Council particularly, and argued that it is totally unfair that 1.3 billion people uh, in the world are not represented on the UN Security Council, and that uh, that is an anomaly, that is unfair, that should be corrected. So we had a whole list of issues to raise and I'd like to say that most of the issues that we raised were uh, warmly received and of course, as you would expect, we also discussed the Russia-Ukraine conflict and our position on this is respected, it is known and recognized and of course uh, we both also expressed a view that we would like this conflict to come to an end as uh, quickly as possible. So we we had really good uh, discussions with uh, President Biden as with Vice President Harris as well. So our visit to the U.S. being a working visit has been a really productive visit and we think we have deepened. and. Uh, Uh, further matured the relations between South Africa and the United States. The United States is an important trade partner to South Africa, and uh, we're also getting a lot of tourists. There's been a huge increase of tourists from the United States to South Africa, and it's been important for us to come and strengthen the relations between the two countries. Thank you. I think I've answered all your questions, so why don't you go home? <laughs> <laughs> Sherwin looks right. um, <laughs> satisfied. We'll do a round of questions. We'll start with Sherwin, Simon, and then Cullen. I'll
6: start with three short ones, Mr. President, good to see you, welcome back to the United States. States. Uh, Can I start with two, please indulge me to start with two domestic issues. Your reaction to Parliament Speaker appointing a three-person panel headed by former Chief Justice Sandile Sandile Ngobo that must determine whether there is a prima facie case to answer on the Palapala issue. Mm -hmm. Secondly, uh, several provinces have indicated that you are the preferred candidate to run for a second term as ANC President. Will you be accepting those nominations? Is that a fact? I'm hearing this. Okay. Uh, and finally, on the international front, you mentioned Ukraine. What the US administration said pre-ving your trip was that they were wanting to hear from South Africa, quote, as this conflict has evolved, we are eager to hear South Africa's perspective on how we reach a just conclusion to the conflict and what are the means to do that. So this seems to be an opening. Naledi Pandor, the minister of international relations, has talked about a panel of eminent persons What is South Africa's position on how we end this conflict?
5: Well, let me start off with the domestic issues. I have noted the panel that has been appointed by the speaker. Uh, That is a parliamentary matter which is unfolding. And as I've said, I will abide by uh, whatever the processes in Parliament uh, come up with. And I have forever remained prepared to cooperate and to engage with uh, the process as well as uh, the, the individuals that have been appointed to the panel. So it's not for me to say I prefer that one or that one. Uh, it's what the speaker uh, in her own right has decided on, so I'll go along with that. I too have noted some of these uh, sentiments that are coming through from the provinces. and. Uh, the nomination process uh, is going to start soon and uh, I will wait for that nomination process you know when when I was elected deputy president in 2012 uh, I had to wait until the very last moment to sign the form because you have to sign an acceptance form so it's not for me to say uh, what the stance is now. It is for those who are nominating to do their work, uh, to make their preferences, and thereafter, after observing all that, I'll then be asked in a very formal sense whether I accept nomination or not. So I wait for that as a disciplined member of the African National Congress. When it comes to the Ukraine (coughs) Russia conflict. President Biden did say that uh, South Africa (coughs) uh, has a very important uh, moral voice in the world and we should not take that lightly. Uh, We should find ways in which uh, any form of assistance that can be given uh, in helping to bring this conflict to an end and we agree with that Uh, clearly the conflict has to be resolved and as we have often said uh, our view is that this conflict can best be resolved through dialogue and negotiation and we were very appreciative uh, of the move that was taken by the Secretary General of the UN when he intervened to open the sea channels for grain to be uh, exported from Ukraine. And we do believe, I still strongly believe, that the Secretary General uh, is the best placed person who can help to engender dialogue and to find a way uh, of uh, bringing about peace in that part of the world, I do think that his office carries such weight, and assisted by, if you like, elders or wise men and women, uh, I do believe that he can bring to bear uh, quite a lot of weight on this, and there can be a solution. Obviously, di- I mean, conflicts are very difficult to solve. Sometimes there are stops and starts, there are steps backwards and forwards. But one has to remain committed and uh, in a dogged way to keep on uh, trying to herd the conflicting parties to a particular uh, direction and a conclusion. I do believe that that should be the case. And as for South Africa, we can play a supportive role. Um, we can play a supportive role. We do have channels, uh, communication channels open to both sides, and uh, we have uh, been able to talk to both sides, and each time we have stressed the issue of negotiations. And uh, uh, following a very strong view that was expressed by President Biden, we will uh, see what role can be played, but I still store a lot of confidence. Uh, in the role of the Secretary General of the United Nations. Thank you.
4: Uh, Mr. President, thank you very much. It's good to see you here uh, as mm-hmm. well. Very nice to have you in Washington. Um, you were very outspoken at the embassy uh, about the countering Russia's malign activities uh, in, uh, in Africa Act, yeah. and uh, seemingly raised it directly with President Biden as well. Um, shortly before you entered the Oval Office, Uh, The President's National Security Council spokesman said that there's no punishment here. The United States is not making anybody choose. We respect sovereignty. There's no punishment envisaged in this legislation. I know you're going to be speaking to members of Congress who have actually authored the legislation later tonight. Did you get any sense from President Biden about what he's going to do? If the legislation passes the Senate, are you asking him, if necessary, to veto that legislation if it reaches his Um I'd also like to ask you about the uh, just energy um, transition. Uh, you said that you uh, had expressed the view that South Africa now needed another 30 billion uh, and that you were impressed by President Biden's grasp of the issue. But what did President Biden commit to, if anything, in terms of that 30 billion, what's the, the, the status of that um, conversation? And on the issue of Ukraine, if I can come back to that, your British colleague, um, Prime Minister Modi of India today, at the meeting of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization that's been underway in Uzbekistan, confronted Vladimir Putin directly and rebuked him over the war in Ukraine and said, this is not an era for war, and said it needs to stop. Does that make you more ready to engage in a similar expression of sentiment towards Vladimir Putin on South Africa's behalf were the opportunity to arise?
5: Okay. On the legislation, uh, obviously, uh, we've raised the issue of the um, legislation that is being piloted in, in, in... US uh, Congress, and we've expressed our discomfort and our opposition to it, because we do believe that in the end, if it is passed, it will identify those countries in Africa that have some relationship or so with Russia. It could be a trade one, it could be an investment one, it could be an economic one. And we do believe that that could be a punishing type of uh, act. Uh, So I think it will harm Africa, it will marginalize our continent, a continent that is now seeking to recover from the after effects of COVID-19, and I think it's a, a misplaced type of legislation Uh, that also would touch on the sovereignty of African countries. As African countries, we we really take great pride in our own sovereignty and should not be told by anyone who we associate with, and we should never be put in positions where we have to choose who our friends are. Uh, We should, of our own volition, choose who our friends are, and should not be subjected to a form of having to choose. So we refuse to do that. Now President Biden uh, has to decide himself what he will do. I'm not able to speak on his behalf. What we have done is to express our very strong opposition to this. And tonight, you're right, I will be engaging with uh, those uh, Congress people or senators who have authored, uh, who are authoring this legislation, and just inform them how harmful this is going to be. Uh, on the one hand, President Biden, as I said, is going to convene a meeting of African leaders in December, which unfortunately I will not be able to attend because I've got an elective party conference and he will be seeking to engage and to cooperate with African leaders and on the other hand if this legislation goes through, it will undo precisely what President Biden is seeking to do. So, it is counterproductive. On the just energy transition issue, uh, we expressed uh, the view that there's a shortfall, a deficit in our view of about 38 billion. And we said we are going to need more funding. And I was pleased to hear President Biden saying countries such as ours and other countries do need to be supported to embark and embrace, fully embrace the just transition. And we we need to get more funding. Uh, And uh, he did say that he will want to raise this with uh, Uh, other G7 partners, and we welcome that because that for us is a very positive uh, disposition to the challenge that we are going to face, and he was even much more uh, detailed in his explanation about coal miners, coal miners uh, who could lose jobs, Uh, how do you go and tell a coal miner And yet he said that you're going to lose your job and that will be the end of it. And his view, which I subscribe to and support fully, is that we should be able, as we transition from fossil fuels to renewables, to be able to create jobs, to train people, and so that they don't lose their work uh, situations, because that is very much of their identity. Uh, And he also went on to say those communities, and he called them the fence line communities, that are going to be more heavily affected by uh, the the transition should be supported quite fully.
4: Uh,
5: Is it falling? Thank you. Gee. I didn't know you could be my dresser, shall we? <laughs> we
6: leave on the same <laughs> <laughs> uh,
5: there was a question that you raised, I just wrote, oh, sentiment, yes, and, uh, Narendra Modi. Yeah, Narendra Modi, yes. Uh, we've always said that we would like to see this war coming to an end, and I have expressed as much to President Putin himself wars are destructive in their nature they are devastating they don't only destroy lives but also infrastructure and everything else so we have said as much and this war has gone on for far too long and needs to be brought to an end and as we have always said those who are part of this whole drama of the war should now Be serious about sitting around the table and finding solutions, and that is why we say the United Nations Secretary-General and various other eminent persons uh, should get involved in negotiating this conflict to an end, and it must come to an end soon. Thank you,
9: Um, Thank you so much, you. Um, Mr. President, uh, I'm representing Sunday Times and South Um on the trip. I have six, six, six questions. The so one is um, the investments that you talked about, President Biden, the American investments in South Africa. What obstacles do they see in terms of um, what's making their lives difficult there? And, and, you know, what are their related concerns? I'm just wondering, does this countering malign, nobody well we can get the name right, countering yes. the malign Russian activity bill. Um, <laughs> might it have an unintended consequences and of an off on effect on American businesses themselves there? Um, I, I was just wondering if, if this could have some unintended consequences. I, I, I mean, the question about um, democracy, uh, President Biden mentioned, I think we both really in interesting democracies at the moment. Um, is there anything that we can learn from the U.S.
2: <laughs>
5: well, I think there is a lot that we can all learn from each other. I think it's best put like that uh, because um, we, we live in a very uncertain world now and there are so many things that continue to unfold that constitute challenges all round either to our democracies, to our economies, to our people and uh, we are living through the effects of all the horrible things that have happened to us as a country, COVID, uh, the unrest, uh, the floods, and uh, and obviously poverty, unemployment, and inequality persists. Uh, So much that we can learn from the U.S. uh, in navigating our way around all the challenges that we all face in the world. Um, The unintended consequences, yes, there would be unintended consequences. Uh, uh, If, for instance, this malign Russia activities bill goes through, uh, I I do think it will also affect uh, American companies. Uh, So it's best that that bill should just be ditched because uh, the collateral damage and the damage it could wreak uh, not only on the African continent but on relations between various nations and the United States is not something that any one of our two countries or the U.S. and various African countries would, would want. The U.S. officials were with President Biden up pretty positive and gung-ho about um, uh, investment opportunities in South Africa. Uh, they did not raise any obstacles with us. They just spoke more of what they see as opportunities and uh, wanting to encourage uh, more investment uh, in, in South Africa. And I was very pleased today even at the meeting that we had with the uh, congressional back caucus, there was uh, a representative of a major company who said, we're coming to South Africa to make a big announcement at your investment conference next year, and we're going to be making a big bet of an investment type in South Africa. And uh, I was very, very pleased with that, and I said, yes, please do attend our investment conference. So in the end, we are going to exceed what I announced uh, four years ago about our our target for investment and the us uh, is one of the countries where we source investment uh, that leads to the creation of jobs so I'm, I'm really particularly pleased about the approach that the us uh, has on South Africa as being an investment destination. I guess they look at all the challenges that we have. They also have their own challenges and still see that there are great opportunities for business in South Africa, notwithstanding the many challenges. And in fact, uh, I've got a sense that they see the challenges that uh, persist in our country as an opportunity for them to partner with us even more so that we can get over those challenges and create a more prosperous South Africa.
2: Thank you Mr.
9: President. Last question, Sebastian. Mr. President,
7: thank you. I'm Sebastian Herbieu, representing Africa Intelligence. You say you raise the issue of security
8: and stability, especially in the north of North Africa. Do you think you will get more support from the United States and what kind of support are you, expecting? are you expecting and do you have any idea of the timeline because the
5: issue is quite pressing? And the second question is uh, an international issue. There is several countries like Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Turkey who are willing to join the British group. Uh, do you think it would be in the interest
8: of South Africa to expand this group?
5: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Uh, in relation to support, we um, urge the United States to, to, to be more supportive uh, in helping us to ward off the insurgents. They are already uh, giving support, uh, and they recently, I think, announced that from a development point of view, they would also be doing some, some interesting interventions in Cabo Delgado. Uh, we want support for the fighting forces that are engaged with the insurgents uh, in the form of resources and, of course, uh, in the form of skills as well. Uh, and resources can range between uh, financial support and otherwise, uh, so we, we have been getting support from the U.S., but we want that to be increased because we we need to to ensure that those insurgents are completely driven out of out of Mozambique. And you're absolutely right; uh, it's urgent. Uh, timelines were not really discussed, but all we could say is that this is urgent. Uh, BRICS is an association. Uh, of the four countries, Uh, are we five, we're four, we're five, five countries, yeah of course including South Africa, and uh, there have been approaches from a number of countries, uh, some on the African continent and beyond, who would want to join this, this, or be part of this family. And as you know, some have also been accepted. Uh, to be part of the, uh, the New Development Bank, so they would now like to be formally part of, of BRICS. That is a matter that is going to be discussed. South Africa is in the new year going to be uh, heading uh, the, the BRICS uh, process uh, leading up to the summit that we will hold, so the matter will be discussed. Uh, amongst the BRICS, five the BRICS partners, and uh, so we will see where that goes. Uh, are we supportive? We are supportive of uh, ensuring that uh, African countries do in the end uh, get represented in uh, important for us in the world, uh, for instance, in the G20 and uh, various others. And that is why we are also saying we want uh, Africa to be represented on the United Nations Security Council. It is important that the African voice should be heard uh, and should be heeded uh, so that people get a better appreciation of uh, uh, where Africa wants to go because we want to build uh, the Africa that we want and a lot needs to be done to ensure that Africa participates in as many forums as possible. So in the end uh, the matter of anyone wanting to join BRICS has to be discussed, and uh, we will, uh, with, without even saying that you know they must come, we will want to discuss it properly with our four partners and uh, then take a decision on the basis of uh, what BRICS stands for. Thank you.
2: Thank you very
9: much, Mr. President.
2: Can
6: I go home? Can I go home now? <laughs> <laughs> London is not home. <laughs> <laughs> You're
5: right. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting
8: out. I think. All right. So that's where we uh, leave that uh, media briefing. That uh, President Ramaphosa had with the media. They're speaking to uh, the members of the media after his meeting with the US President Joe Biden. He said that his discussion included business between the two states, uh, uh, a just transition under the climate change lens. Uh, Also, the President said that uh, we will need at least another $38 billion to get the job done. He said that uh, he appreciated the U.S. support in health, uh, was greatly appreciated Uh, this as we try to improve our health systems, he says. He talked about steel and aluminium tariffs uh, needing to be reviewed to make uh, uh, the playing fields fair. He asked for U.S. support over our Pan-African initiative for the Continental Free Trade Area. Uh, food security came up, also discussed with concerns raised about homegrown fertilizer production facilities uh, and capacity. Uh, the Malign Russia Activities Bill, as predicted, uh, came up and said that this will prejudice Africa and that this needs to be reviewed. In fact, later on he said it needs to be scrapped completely. Zimbabwe sanctions came up, saying that the U.S. sanctions in Zimbabwe has an effect On the region in general, with the movement of economic migrants seeking greener pastures into South Africa and other neighboring states. He says that African representation on uh, bodies like the G20, uh, that was put on the table. Uh, He says that this should happen much in the same way as the European Union. Uh, he talked about skills development and uh, that was another area that he asked for support especially when it with the initiative of trying to push professionalize the uh, civil service here in South Africa. Uh, UN Security Council, another issue that always comes up saying that representation there uh, is considered an anomaly in the world that we live in today. He said that uh, South Africa's position on the Ukraine-Russia conflict uh, is respected and uh, speaking to our correspondent in that briefing, uh, Sherman Bryce, piece, he says that the U.S. sees South Africa perhaps as a, an important moral voice that could play an important role in finding a peaceful solution to the end of the conflict. And he's added, though, that the U.N. Secretary General might be the ideal person uh, to negotiate peace in the region, with South Africa maybe playing a supportive role. All right, so that's uh, what's come out of that meeting? We still have to wait and see how President Biden saw those issues, but this is what uh, President uh, Ramaphosa shared with members of the media a few minutes ago.
1: Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, a briefing uh, from uh, Republic of South Africa President Cyril Ramaphosa on his meeting uh, with the White House both uh, President Biden as well as uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. He also mentioned uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Uh, He outlined issues of discussion. Uh, It was raised uh, by uh, the African National Congress uh, government in South Africa in regard to uh, energy uh, resources, in regard to uh, opposing the anti-Russia bill, that has already passed the U.S. Congress and is now in the U.S. Senate. They also uh, discussed uh, South Africa's position on the Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, It remains unchanged. They want a negotiated settlement to the conflict, and the United States should be involved in fostering a negotiated settlement uh, to uh, the situation in Ukraine. Uh, The President also called for the lifting of uh, economic sanctions against the neighboring Republic of Zimbabwe and um, discussed the regional impact of these sanctions throughout the entire Southern African Development Community region. These and other issues were raised, and uh, we're going to continue to cover uh, the developments involving uh, President Ramaphosa's visit to the United States as well as next week uh, with the uh, 77th session, ordinary session of the United Nations General Assembly that will start next week, uh, bringing in um, many heads of states and uh, officials uh, to address uh, the general debate uh, within the General Assembly in New York City. We'll take a break. Uh, We'll be back uh, with more of our program for this week.
2: Got them the blue don't care. Are whose tears are in whose eyes? When some one's heart is broken, the blues are not. Let
1: of uh, Donna Hightower uh, with the song entitled The Blues Don't Care. And uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast for Saturday, September 17th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We want to thank all of our listeners uh, for tuning in once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast, our concluding segment Uh, We will listen uh, to a briefing from the African Centers for Disease Control and Prevention based in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And, of course, um, that uh, is a regular occurrence here at this program. In a few minutes, a few seconds, time, uh, we're going to be hearing uh, from the acting uh, director general of uh, the African Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, delivering a biweekly briefing on a number of issues, including the COVID 19 situation, situation involving monkeypox, the Marlboro virus, and other uh, public health concerns uh, throughout uh, the African continent. Uh, These briefings are brought to you here on a regular basis at the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio. Morning. Broadcast. Let me just, just um, to say good morning to everyone, or good afternoon,
0: prevention. or good evening, depending on where you are joining us from. Uh, we are just uh, seeing some colleagues uh, joining now, but I think that um, we need to start, and um, we can finalize that process of making sure that everyone is on board. Uh, but uh, it's a very good morning from Addis Ababa and uh, a warm welcome to this uh, press briefing that comes to you from the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, the program aims to provide information and updates on the public health issues on the continent. Uh, we are still dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, um, but on top of that, we have other Uh, emergency situations that have come up and to give us a summary of all those situations and what is being done to mitigate the situation. We are joined as usual by the acting director of the Africa CDC and he is Dr. Ahmed Ogwell and I will be bringing him on board very shortly. But before I do that, I want to just tell you the WhatsApp number that you can use today for your questions, because today we have a different number, and that number is plus two five one nine three five six nine two six zero nine. Let me give you that number again. It is plus two five one nine three five six nine two six but of course you can still continue to come through uh, on our question and answer section but also through uh, the live link so that you can ask your questions yourselves. so we are going to be using the usual format where dr ogwell is going to give us the summary and then we will come to that question and answer section so let me now hand over to dr ogwell who is on standby for his rundown of the public health issues on the continent currently. Um, Ahmed, it's over to you.
10: Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much, um, uh, Wayne, and uh, uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, colleagues, wherever you're joining from. Um, This uh, press briefing today um, is uh, covering, and we apologize, last week we could not be able to have our press briefing, Um, but it covers the last two weeks uh, before uh, that we have not had um, uh, a session with you. I'll start with COVID um, on the continent, and uh, let me hasten to add that uh, the COVID uh, virus is still being transmitted here on the continent. Our vaccination rate is still low, and therefore it still remains a significant risk uh, for the continent uh, of Africa. So, as of today, the 15th of September uh, 2022, we have documented just over 12 million cases, uh, and this accounts for 3% of the total cases that have been reported globally. We have documented 11.4 million recoveries, and this translates to 95% of the total number of cases that have been reported on the continent. Unfortunately, we have also documented uh, 255,699 deaths over uh, the period that the pandemic has been with us, which gives us a cumulative case fatality rate of 2.1%. And these deaths account for 4.1% of the total number of deaths uh, due to COVID as reported globally. Um, The following five countries account for 60% of all the cases we have documented on the continent to date. South Africa with 33%, Morocco with 10%, Tunisia with 9%, and Egypt and Libya each with 4% of the total number of cases reported here in Africa. This week, 41 of our countries are reporting a case fatality rate that that is higher than the global average of 1.1%. Two countries still remain reporting a case fatality rate that is higher than 5%, and that is Somalia and Sudan. Um, When we look at the waves, 27 of our countries have experienced a fifth wave, Five countries have experienced a sixth wave, and there is no additional country that is experiencing a sixth wave, and the five countries remain Algeria, Burundi, Kenya, Mauritius, and Tunisia. When we look at the situation of variants of concern, there is no change from the last time that um, we were here, uh, the variants of concern remain the same ones that we had uh, last week, um, and therefore, um, uh, when we look at the sublineages, we see that Omicron BA4 sublineage Zimbabwe is reporting a new case there. Uh, when we look at uh, Omicron uh, BA5 sublineage, two countries are reporting. Uh, this recently, and that is Zimbabwe and Guinea. While when we look at BA275 sublineage, Mauritius is the new country that is reporting uh, this particular sublineage. You will recall that um, uh, Africa CDC has expanded the network of facilities across the, across Africa that are actively surve- doing surveillance for all these variants, and sublineages so that we have a clearer understanding of what may be driving uh, infection across the continent. When we look at trends, today we are looking at week 36, which is the 5th to the 11th of September, and we are comparing it with the previous week, uh, which is week 35, that is 29th, 4th of September. Mm -hmm. For new cases of COVID-19 during this period, a total of 5,828 cases have been reported on the continent, which gives us a 14% decrease from week uh, 35. The highest proportions of these new cases during AP week 36 are seen from the southern region with 37% while the other regions are represented as follows western region 31% northern 24% eastern region 6% and central region 2% of the new cases during epi week 36 in terms of representation by country those that are reporting the highest numbers during this period are south africa with 1593 Tunisia, 962, Nigeria, 603, um, Mali with 582, and Zambia with 130. Looking at the incidence per million population during this week, the following five countries are reporting the highest average numbers. Seashells, 135 cases per million population, Tunisia, 11 Cabo Verde, four, Mali, four, and South Africa, four. During this same week, 36, the number of new deaths reported is 49, and it is a 10% increase from the previous week, AP Week 35. When we look at the um, four-week period, that is 15th of August to 11th of September, the trends we see are as follows. New cases, there's been a 20% average decrease during this period in Africa. And when we break it down by region, this is the situation. 8% increase in Western Africa, 47% decrease in Central, 40% decrease in Eastern, 23% decrease in northern five percent decrease in the southern africa region when we break down over this four-week period um, by the most populous countries this is what we see the drc um, showed a 25 percent increase nigeria a 25 percent increase south africa a six percent increase ethiopia 18 percent decrease while kenya uh, showed a four percent decrease and there was no change in egypt during this same period when we look at the number of new deaths we see an overall 14 percent average decrease in new deaths on the continent by region over the four-week period we see 43% increase in the western region, 16% increase in the northern region, 25% decrease in the southern region, while central and eastern regions did not show um, uh, any change. When we look at the breakdown by the most populous countries over this period, we see Nigeria with 100% average decrease in the number of new deaths over the four-week period. Kenya, 100% average decrease. Ethiopia, as well, 100% average decrease, while South Africa um, documented a 56% average decrease as a result of new cases of COVID-19. Egypt and the DRC, there was no documented change. When we look at testing across the continent to date, we have over 122 million COVID tests being done on the continent and over 137,397 new tests were reported for the EPI week 36. This is a 33% decrease from the previous week when we had um, over 205,000 tests being reported down on the continent. For this week, um, for this uh, AP Week 36, the positivity rate is 4%, while the test per case ratio is 26, which is an increase by 29% in the positivity rate and a decrease by 22% in the test per case ratio. No member state is reporting a test positivity rate that is higher than 12% during this Epi week 36. When we look at vaccinations, as of the 13th of September, um, 2022, the total number of vaccine doses that have been supplied to the continent of Africa is 950 million. And these have gone to 54 of our member states. The number of doses administered is 687 million doses, which gives us a 72% consumption rate of the supply that we have received. Coverage, however, still remains at 22.2% of the total population that has been fully vaccinated with a 2% a 2.7% coverage for booster doses. When we look at the top 10 Africa Union member states that are reporting full vaccination, the situation is as follows. Seychelles 81.5%, Mauritius 76.6%, Rwanda 65.4% and this is an increase from uh, the last um, report. Morocco, 61.9%. Botswana, 61.7%. Liberia, 55.9%. Again, another increase from the last report. Cape Verde, 55.2%. Tunisia, 52.8%. Sao Tome and Principe, 45.4%. And that is another increase from last time and Mozambique with 44.4%. So when we look at um, uh, the situation of um, the expiry of vaccines uh, on the continent, we see that as of the 7th of September, 16.8 million doses Of vaccines that have been uh, delivered have expired. This is a 1.8 percent of uh, all the doses that we've received, Um, uh, and this is as a result of uh, three essential things. One is slow vaccination uh, on the continent. Second is short expiry vaccines being donated uh, to Africa, Um, and a third um, is um, uh, the lack of uh, appropriate longer-term storage facilities for these vaccines. Let me now move to uh, an update of the other uh, public health threats on the continent. To date, um, I mean, today we have seven uh, different outbreaks apart from COVID, and I'll share with you all seven. The first is monkeypox, and with monkeypox, um, we have documented one new case of one additional uh, African country, and that is Egypt, and this is a confirmed case uh, by laboratory uh, testing, which presents us with the following um, uh, summary that since the last briefing, 1,000 118 new cases have been documented on the continent, which include 76 confirmed and 1,042 suspected, with 20 new deaths due to monkeypox. This results in a case fatality rate of 2.4% over uh, this uh, uh, APB 36. Um, And these have been reported from Benin, Congo, the DRC, Egypt, Ghana, Liberia, and Nigeria. These numbers represent a 50% increase in the number of new uh, confirmed cases compared to the previous week. This means that uh, for us on the continent of Africa, uh, the the multi-country monkeypox outbreak continues um, uh, to persist. Cumulatively, 4,667 cases, including 559 confirmed cases and um, 4,108 suspected cases have been reported on the continent of Africa and unfortunately 127 deaths have also been documented, giving us a case fatality rate of 2.8% across the 11 Africa Union member states uh, with a reporting period of 2022. As Africa CDC, we continue to support our member states with capacity building for laboratory uh, testing, um, test kits and reagents, uh, so that we have as many of the cases uh, being laboratory confirmed as possible and also we continue to negotiate for um, uh, vaccines for particularly our frontline healthcare care workers and the affected communities. The second outbreak is Rift Valley fever, and this is in Mauritania. On the 29th of August of this um, year, the Mauritania Ministry of Health did report this outbreak of Rift Valley uh, amongst humans Um, and concurrently with animals as well. Cumulatively, 28 human cases, including four confirmed and 24 uh, suspected, with two deaths, giving us a case fatality rate of 7% has been reported in Mauritania. For animals, a total of 41 cases have been confirmed. 21 deaths have resulted from this outbreak Uh, in four regions of the country we are working with uh, the Mauritanian government particularly the ministries of uh, livestock and that of health uh, to contain uh, this particular outbreak in Mauritania the third outbreak is the Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever again in Mauritania since the last brief 36 new cases including two confirmed and uh, 34 suspected with one death giving us a case fatality rate of 5.3 percent have been reported from mauritania and senegal mauritania has reported 34 cases and senegal has confirmed one case and one new death cumulatively for crimean congo hemorrhagic fever We have documented 38 cases, including two that were confirmed and 34 that are suspected with one um, death, giving us a case fatality rate of 2.6%. In response, the ministries responsible for livestock in both countries have um, been uh, conducting uh, public awareness campaigns within the affected communities, um, uh, as well as Uh, increasing um, the um, uh, preparedness of the facilities that are serving these communities uh, so that cases can be able to be identified and treated uh, early. The fourth outbreak is the multi-country Lassa fever uh, outbreak, where uh, we've seen that since the last briefing, 15, that is one five new confirmed cases and 155, Suspected cases have been reported. No deaths uh, have been reported. And only uh, one country reported these cases during this last week, and that is Nigeria. This is a 12% decrease in the number of new cases compared to the last briefing. Cumulatively, for LASA fever, we have documented for this year 7,613 cases, including 970 that were confirmed and 6643 suspected with 194 deaths giving us a case fatality rate of 2.6% during this year. Seven member states have been affected by Lassa fever across the year and in response um, Africa CDC and other partners are uh, conducting multisectoral preparedness and response activities across the seven affected countries the fifth outbreak is a multi-country cholera outbreak this is affecting 13 uh, of our member states so far and since the last briefing 699 confirmed and three suspected cases with 12 new deaths giving a case fatality rate of 1.2 percent, have been reported from two member states, and that is Malawi and Niger. Cumulatively, though, um, the 13 countries have reported 40,055 cases, including 4,783 confirmed and 35,000. 272 cases being suspected, with 602 deaths, giving us a case fatality rate for multi, this a cholera outbreak of 1.4% across the 13 member states of the Africa Union. In response, um, we are working with all the affected countries to develop risk communication uh, strategies uh, to implement um, community outreach, uh, and um, also to provide the necessary tools for not just our health workers, but also for members of the public to be able to contain uh, the spread um, of this uh, cholera outbreak. The sixth is a multi-country measles outbreak. Since the last briefing, 2,864 new cases with 50 new deaths have been reported, giving a case fatality rate of 1.7% across six of our member states. This is a 38% decrease in the number of new cases compared to the last update. Cameroon, Senegal, Somalia, Tanzania, and Zimbabwe are reporting cases of Uh, new cases of this measles outbreak. Cumulatively, from the beginning of the year, we have documented 181,329 cases, including 29,193 which are confirmed and 152,140 which are suspected. 2,268 deaths have been confirmed, giving a case fatality rate of 1.2%. The number of countries affected so far is uh, 24, and we are working with all of them to to, uh, limit um, the uh, area of coverage of uh, uh, cholera, the outbreak, and also to limit uh, the numbers of those who are suffering and deaths from uh, this outbreak. And finally, is rabies in South Africa. This is the seventh outbreak on the continent. Since the last brief, um, the South African authorities have reported two new confirmed cases, one probable case, and three deaths as a result of uh, rabies, which gives a case fatality rate of 100%. This is the same number of new cases and deaths as was at the last update, so there has been no change um, higher uh, or lower. Cumulatively, though, a total of 15 cases, including 10 confirmed, 5 probable cases with 15 deaths, uh, were reported from South Africa since February of 2022. Uh, The Ministry of Health continues to provide um, uh, rabies vaccines um, and human rabies vaccines, as well as dog um, uh, uh, inoculation, inoculation of uh, the the dog so as to limit um, the possibility of rabies uh, spreading uh, in the community. We are providing them with the remote support at this stage. Now, to finally, um, other announcements. I would like to share two. One is on 9th and 10th, of September, the Southern Africa uh, region of the African Union, um, all the 10 member states, uh, the ministers met in Livingston in uh, Zambia, hosted by the government of Zambia, um, and represented in the person of the Honorable Minister of of Health of, of the Republic of Zambia, where the call to action that was made by our heads of states in July during the executive uh, uh council and the media coordination meeting was made was being put into action by the health ministers they agreed amongst other things to establish a technical working group in africa in, in, in the region uh facilitated by africa cdc that is going to look at concrete implementation of that call to action by our heads of states they also requested africa cdc to put in place a training program for Uh, public health emergency operations centers uh, so that Africa can be able to build its capacity in this area this is almost a record that um, within 50 days of a call to action being made by uh, our heads of state then ministers of health have come together to begin the process of implementation truly um, our ministers do understand the emergency nature in which we work and therefore the need for speed Uh, of implementing decisions, and we applaud them for that. The second announcement that I'll have is that next week, um, during the the high-level debates uh, uh, period for the UN General Assembly, uh, Africa CDC will be having uh, three side events. The first one on Sunday the 18th at the Africa Center is going to focus on um, uh, uh, sharing what Africa CDC as an institution is, with our partners, and also um, providing details of what we are doing and where we are going in terms of our vision, uh, and of course, uh, looking forward to their support. That is on the 18th of um, September. That is this Sunday uh, in New York at the Africa Center. The second uh, side event um, in the margins of the UN General Assembly is going to be on the 19th, 1-9 of September, um, and that is on Monday. It is in the afternoon from 3 to 5 p.m. Again, this is going to be held in the margins of the UN General Assembly, and the location is our offices, the African Union Mission to the UN. Uh, We have uh, offices where we'll be hosting this particular side event, and it will focus on workforce for public health, uh, and we expect the presence of uh, our heads of states to grace that particular event. On the 21st of September, um, and that uh, will be on Wednesday, we will have the third-side event from 11 in the morning until 1 o'clock, again at our offices um, um, in New York. And this particular event will focus on the new public health order. And again, we expect that it will be graced by uh, some of our heads of state uh, who will be attending the UN uh, General Assembly. So these uh, are the um, updates that I had uh, for our colleagues today, and looking forward to uh, the questions.
0: Thank you very much, Ahmed, for that uh, comprehensive breakdown of the situation on the continent, uh, including also the mention that you've made of, uh, of rabies, which I think is a new topic for us to discuss on this program. Now let's go into our question and answers uh, section. But before we do that, let me just uh, give you that WhatsApp number that we're using today. And as I've mentioned, this is a new one. It's different from the one that we normally use. So today's WhatsApp number is plus two five one nine three five six nine two six zero nine plus two five one nine three. so our first uh, questions have come through on the question and answer section and they are both from alexander winning thank you alex so the first one that i want to put to dr omar is alex says i would like to ask dr Ogwell omar whether he agrees with comments by dr tedros yesterday that the end is in sight, and this was in reference to the COVID-19 pandemic. So the question then is, is that the case for Africa, or is there still a significant threat to the continent from the virus? So let's take that one first, then we'll come back to the second one.
10: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Alex, for that question. Indeed, um, the situation of the pandemic continues to evolve and uh, different parts of the world are experiencing it from uh, very different perspectives. Here on the continent of Africa, with um, just over 22% of um, our population being fully vaccinated, it means that um, the levels of protection are still relatively low, and uh, we intend to continue uh, to push uh, for even higher rates of vaccination across the continent. Um, the virus is still circulating, and with the low rates of vaccination, the pandemic is still very much with us here on the continent. So although the end um, uh, may look like is not too far, uh, we are still in that mode where we consider it a pandemic, we consider it an emergency, and we are planning, preparing, and responding uh, to uh, the situation on the ground in that fashion that it's still it is still here with us and it is still an emergency that we need uh, to address um, um, as effectively as uh, as possible particularly because of the low vaccination rates the pandemic is still here with us on the continent
0: all right so the second question from Alex, which by the looks of it is our final question for today unless we receive any more questions after this but Alex says um, she would also like to ask, are there any plans to get new COVID-19 vaccines that target Omicron to the African continent? Or is getting vaccines for monkeypox now a bigger priority for Africa?
10: No, thank you. Thank you, Alex. Um, at this moment, we, our focus um, is on getting as many of our citizens to be vaccinated, fully vaccinated, as many to be fully vaccinated as possible. Um, and um, we are not yet um, uh, looking at um, a targeted, uh, vac- uh, vaccines that target um, different variants. We just want as many of the African population as possible to be fully vaccinated. We are having um, the monkeypox outbreak uh, simultaneously. Uh, Indeed, we are having measles outbreaks. We are having cholera outbreaks and others, as I've shared. So all those that are vaccine amenable are a priority, all of them, including COVID. And we do not treat one to be uh, more um, urgent or more um, prioritized than the other. All are emergencies, and we are dealing with all of them at the same time. We will still seek more vaccines for COVID. We will still seek vaccines for monkeypox, and we will still seek more vaccines for measles, for cholera, yellow fever, and all the other outbreaks that are vaccines amenable.
0: Kara Anna from Associated Press says, thank you for the briefing. Could you speak in detail about why monkeypox vaccines still haven't arrived, and what are the partners telling you about this delay?
10: No, thank you, Tarana. Um, Monkeypox vaccines have not arrived on the continent of Africa for two main reasons. One is that although we are willing to purchase, we do not yet have any doses available to be bought. And um, those doses that have been bought, and this is the second reason, are not yet accessible to Africa, um, either because... Um, those who have bought them have not received or those who have received are not at the moment able to share um, their doses uh, with us uh, here in Africa as for those that we are engaged with in discussions um, we have not yet received positive feedback and we continue to negotiate and uh, clarify how um, uh, these doses will be used if they arrived on the continent Um, And um, uh, this is, uh, I cannot be able to give you a timeline. um, uh, So we continue to engage with those who have access uh, to monkeypox um, uh, vaccines. And uh, we remain uh, hopeful that uh, Africa will see some of these vaccines uh, soon um, rather than later. Thank you.
0: It's time for us to say hello to Esther Nakazi, who is a journalist based in Uganda. And Esther says, according to the multi-country research on antimicrobial resistance in Africa report, researchers have found that most laboratories across Africa are not ready for aid in eight of the
2: 14
0: countries. More than half of the population is out of reach of any bacteriology laboratories. What are Dr. Omar's reactions to these findings?
10: No, thank you, Esther. Um, I'm glad that you're very current. We are uh, today and uh, tomorrow hosting um, African countries and our partners here in Addis Ababa um, to disseminate a report that... Um, Uh, has come from uh, research in 14 countries uh, on antimicrobial resistance and some of the results are quite uh, uh, giving us quite a challenge uh, in terms of uh, the way forward to to resolve them now that report is a retrospective study of uh, the situation of antimicrobial resistance uh, in those 14 African countries Um, we have put in place mechanisms to support those countries to do prospective data collection so that we have more current um, uh, data and therefore a more current picture on the situation of antimicrobial resistance here on the continent. The results of um, uh, the study in the 14 countries uh, is giving us two very clear messages. One is that We need to improve surveillance for antimicrobial resistance in humans, in animals, and the environment so that we are more prepared uh, in terms of policy response and action at the facility level. We need to do that. So this is one very clear lesson it's giving us about um, the need for us to continue doing this very prospectively. The second um, um, very clear message that the... research is giving us is that we do not yet have enough laboratories that are handling uh, testing for antimicrobial resistance. We do not yet have enough capacity in terms of human resources at the lab level and at the clinical level to collect information regularly for us to be able to track antimicrobial resistance here on the continent. What the team are doing during this workshop dissemination workshop, is they are going to come up with recommendations of concrete things that we as Africa CDC, the African Union partners, and our member states can be able to do to reverse this particular worrying trend across the continent. So I will defer answering that directly until after we hear recommendations from the workshop. Because we have pulled all these experts together, uh, that way they can be able to give us uh, their very well uh, thought through uh, recommendations of what we need to do going forward. Uh, But what is clear for us is the capacity is low and we must improve the capacity in the lab and the capacity in the clinical uh, setup so that we have much less antimicrobial resistance being reported uh, than what we have uh, currently. It's a bit too high for comfort. Thank you.
0: All right, uh, thank you. I don't see any questions, but just in case someone is uh, still formulating their question, you could perhaps update us um, if there's any quantified data now that speaks to the impact that COVID-19 has had on the African continent uh, economically and socially.
10: Uh, thank you, Wayne. Um, So there are several studies that are ongoing uh, to give us a um, much better um, a picture of three things. One is uh, effect on public health, uh, the health sector in general. There are those studies that are going on across the continent. Preliminary information shows us that the routine work that we do, whether it is uh, malaria, TB, HIV, um, childhood illnesses, those routine um, services suffered as a result of the COVID pandemic. And now it is being quantified to see just how bad the suffering was. Second is on the economic front. And um, our counterparts um, in, the, in the economy and trade are also compiling a report uh, to come up with the, what effect it had on the continent in terms of uh, economic um, uh, activities. And we are hoping that will also be able to come through soon. But preliminary results show that there were huge losses huge losses uh, for the African economy, and um, we are waiting to see what those details uh, would be. The third and final one is effect on society and the way that we live. Being locked up for uh, days and months, uh, lockdowns were not uh, very interesting, and they had a lot of mental health issues going on, and that affected the way that society was relating. And data is also being collected to see just uh, how uh, much of a burden Um, uh, the the COVID-19 pandemic was, particularly during the period of the lockdowns, and how that affected uh, our families and our societies, um, uh, and in which way. So we are waiting for that data to come out, but preliminary results already show that, uh, for example, gender-based violence increased. Uh, Although countries are uh, trying to do that, it has not been very easy. So this data is coming through uh, preliminarily, but we await complete reports from the relevant organizations uh, so that we can actually be able to synthesize that and uh, hopefully share that with you in the coming uh, weeks.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Ahmed, for that response. I see that uh, we still don't have any more questions, so I think that uh, we are done uh, for today, but uh, perhaps. Oh, wow. Okay. Just as I was uh, concluding, we have a question that has come through from Esther Nakazi. Mm-hmm. And uh, Esther says, some countries are reporting increased measles cases, as you rightly gave us the data. There are reports of religious objectors. What should be done about this? And should we have some policies in place to stop this trend?
10: thank you very much Esther Um, in um, the driver of this current uh, measles outbreaks in several countries the drivers are many Um, but yes in some countries um, religious beliefs um, have actually played uh, a role in some communities where measles has grown uh, quite fast we, as Africa CDC, are encouraging um, our, the governments of the communities concerned to engage them so that there is understanding of um, the risk that um, uh, unattended measles outbreaks pose to the general public, including those communities themselves. This engagement um, usually results in better understanding of what the individual role is and what institutional roles are, like uh, religious institutions. And this we leave to the, to the member states to be able to uh, to handle. Um, all countries uh, on the continent have uh, legal frameworks that can be able to handle this they have policy frameworks uh, that can be able to handle this and uh, we trust that uh, they're actually doing that I'm just from um, uh, Zambia uh, for a meeting the meeting at referred to in Livingston and this was part of the discussion the ministers were concerned that some religious beliefs were actually uh, hampering um, their efforts to contain some of these outbreaks but they assured us that uh, they had uh, frameworks and uh, uh, the legal um, mechanisms in place that will be able to handle this in a humane way and in a manner that uh, uh, would not result in a negative um, uh, reaction uh, from the affected communities. Because you don't want to do that. But uh, legal frameworks and policy frameworks at country level are adequate to be able to handle um, objectors, whether it is religion or otherwise, uh, at country level.
0: Um, Judith Alcolo has come through and she says, um, today I have a problem with the internet connection and hence I'm unable to follow effectively or even ask questions. Well, we're sorry about uh, to hear that, uh, Judith, but uh, please do check on the WhatsApp group because uh, colleagues normally send out the original Zoom file that you can open and have access to. Uh, you could also uh, play back on the Africa CDC YouTube channel and uh, also on the Africa CDC website. So that information, this whole briefing would be available there. So I hope that will be of assistance. But uh, thank you very much for coming through to us. All right, so I think we are done with all the comments and questions from today. So it's back to you uh, dr Orwell, for your final highlight points for today
10: now thank you thank you wayne and um uh, three points to highlight um the first is that um uh, the continent is experiencing many outbreaks at the same time in fact we have 17 on the continent uh the rest are smaller i've only shared seven which have a much higher risk so there are multiple, multiple outbreaks that we are dealing with on the continent. And this is um, a reflection of the complexities of not only Africa, but also of us engaging with uh, uh, the pathogens um, uh, that cause disease. So there are multiple outbreaks and we are handling all of them the best that we can. Second is that COVID is still here with us. And um, one of the really good ways of ensuring that we protect the population effectively is vaccination and so as we roll out our vaccination um, uh, campaigns across the continent we are now in about 14 countries and we are going to increase that um, uh, every week we are urging members of the public to go out and get vaccinated and those who are eligible please get your booster doses so that you remain protected uh, from uh, covid 19. Uh, the campaigns continue uh, COVID is still here with us, and we are asking members of the public to get vaccinated. The final is uh, UNGA next year, the UN General Assembly, the side events. Um, we will be sharing on um, uh, uh, the platform uh, for journalists to uh, be able to be aware of the details of where we will be. And we ask you to participate actively, those who will be in UNGA and those who can be able to
1: join uh, virtual. Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, the African Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, briefing for this week. And, of course, so that's going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast uh, for today, uh, Saturday, September the 17th, uh, 2022. we we'll We've been broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And uh, we'd like to uh, thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, to our program today. If you'd like to have access to this uh, broadcast, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African News Wire, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. We're going to be closing out uh, with the music of the Donnie Griffin Sextet. Uh, this is Abayomi takeaway signing off and have a beautiful week.